live from Sydney. This is Yitzi Tobel, Building Jerusalem. My dear friend, Dr. Jamie Q. Roberts, recently finished his time at the University of New South Wales. He gave a final talk entitled, The Death of Truth at the University and Other Institutions. I had the honor to attend that talk. I found it elegant and poignant. It is deep, yet it is simple. Presented here now for your listening pleasure is that talk. Join us also next week for a conversation with the lecturer, Dr. Jamie Q. Roberts. Here it is. The Death of Truth at the University and Other Institutions. All right, so uh, uh, thanks for coming along today um, to my little talk. Um, you can see universities and other places. See, I don't want to just limit what I'm talking about to universities because, uh, you know, the problems I suppose I'm concerned with, I mean, they're everywhere. Um, universities may well be the heartland of the problems, but um, they certainly spread out well beyond the university boundaries. So uh, the death of truth uh, and magnanimity. So... Um, yeah, when I think about what concerns me the most, it's it's the loss of these two things. And yeah, I mean, the loss of them together is, yeah, it's a blight on the university system yeah, and on uh, and on society itself. Um, but also I'm um, leaving the uni and uh, you kind of have this sense that, oh, finally, now that I'm leaving, um, I can speak the truth about truth. See, when you're, when you're sort of in the midst of it, um, you self-censor, you hold back on any number of things. Um, even though, I mean, I feel like in the last year or two, I've managed to lift my teaching to a bit of a higher level where I can you know, explore some of these more challenging issues. But, but really, um, it hasn't been easy. So it's kind of funny that, yeah, it's only on these margins, these sort of liminal places, maybe when people first come into the unis before, um, you know, before you're crushed. Uh, or, you know, when you're leaving them, that you can have these sort of moments. So that's kind of that's kind of what this is about. Um, I've said this already here a bit, but let's say it a bit more clearly. Uh, the telos, that's the word people like using at the moment. I mean, it's, it's bullshit, really. But, <laughs> but <laughs> it's probably, which is why I say, or purpose. There you go. So I'm not just, uh, not just eating the bullshit serving the bullshit. So yeah, the telos or purpose of universities, or frankly, any dis intellectual discussion generally. I mean, honestly, the, the point's to reveal the truth, isn't it? The truth of the world, the truth of the universe. Uh, that's the point of it. And we have, you know, a range of different institutions in our society, don't we? I mean, there's the, you know, the judicial system, and that's got something to do with truth, but it's certainly got something to do with justice, perhaps more than anything. Um, we have a political system, and that's got something to do with truth as well, something to do with justice, but it's mostly a system arranged where, you know, political battles can be fought. That's why it's called the political system. But you can see we have these different institutions in our society which have these, you know, well-defined purposes. Uh, and these are all things that, are, you know, that matter to us. Um, so that's what uni should be about. Uh, the danger is that this purpose is being corrupted. Um, that I, I certainly don't want to say it's everywhere um, all the time. Um, it, it, you know, truth still lives on in, in many ways, but um, you can sort of feel like, you know, a cancer, a disease that um, it's, being, it's being eaten away. 
So these are some of the things I want to you know, just go into um, in a little bit more detail. There's so many ways to try to attack, uh, attack this problem. Um, and hopefully in the future, I'll come back to, uh, you know, lots of different angles to sort of build up the picture. You can only say so much in about 40 minutes, but this is kind of, this is my best shot. Uh, when I've been pondering this talk for the last, um, last few weeks, this, this is the stuff I keep coming back around to. So what I want to talk about, I actually want to start with Plato. Um, so yeah, the ancient uh, Greek philosopher. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I grumble in my own head about uh, university, um, I keep coming back to the words that uh, he had to say in the Republic about the characteristics of a philosopher. And I mean, he nailed it. I, I, I read it again from, I, I read it, you know, every year or two from time to time and I get that kind of, you know, excited stirring and I'm thinking, yeah, you nailed it. And this is why we still read Plato is, uh, is because he really sort of recognised um, this whole pursuit of truth and the characteristics of the philosopher who pursues the truth. So um, let's have a, have a little look at you know, some of the key characteristics, um, you know, which he points out, obviously one of which being pursuit of truth. Uh, it's time to go around in circles. <laughs> um, what I then want to do is I want to move from there and think about what I call the hierarchy of purposes at university. Obviously, I place truth at the top, but there's a bunch of other things that go on. And I want us to try to understand how these things interact, because by understanding this hierarchy, we're then really well placed to you know, get a sense of what is going wrong. Um, if I have time, um, I want to start to introduce a couple of critical thinking tools, which uh, will give us the ability to step back from various vexed, controversial discussions that we get involved in and allow us to, um, you know, pick apart our own positions as well as the positions of others. So, yeah, like in a normal political battle, it's like, all right, this is my side, this is your side, you know, fight. But if you're in the realm of truth, then you need to step back and take a meta approach to the political discussion itself, which, you know, we really don't do enough. So, I mean, I've got a bunch of these critical thinking tools, but, uh, you know, time's short, but I'll, uh, I'll try to bring out at least one or two of them with some case studies. Okay. Plato, three characteristics of a philosopher. Pretty straightforward. Oh, yeah, that's Plato there. I guess he was famous in his own time, so they made, you know, busts of him. They're called busts, aren't they? Yeah, that'll do. Three things. Number one, love of truth. So it's not just about the pursuit of truth. It's the love of truth. It's this sort of giddy sense that you get of recognising the patterns in the world and the universe, the sense that, yeah, God damn it, this really matters. There's something special about this. It's like, I'll give you some quotations shortly to, to bulk this out. Number two, this appeals to me so much, uh, a love of all the branches of knowledge. This is something I'll keep coming back to as well. It's the sense that, oh, wow, look, that, that's pretty cool, that, that stuff happening in maths. Like I don't really get maths that much, but what I get of it, oh, wow, that's really cool. Or, you know, well, look at that stuff in uh, quantum physics. That's really interesting, you know, or whatever. Let's, let's you know, go across somewhere else. Oh, international relations. Oh, that's an interesting debate, you know. Where, any discipline, any knowledge, it's all good. You know, I contrast this with, um, you know, when you're teaching and you're trying to teach students stuff and get them excited about things. And you so often get the students who are just like, yeah, I don't like it. It's boring, not interested in it. You sort of think... Well, what would Plato say? Anyway, 
But I don't know. As a teacher, you just think, come on, everything's interesting. Everything's remarkable. So there's something, there's something in this, uh, I think. Keep coming back to it. Oh, magnanimity. Magnanimity. Um, what an amazing characteristic it is. It's a, it's a certain sort of uh, disposition, um, a way of interacting with people uh, and the world, um, a, a, big, a way of having a big spirit. And I think it's interesting that, you know, in a discussion of a philosopher, it's not just about truth and knowledge, which you might expect, but it's about a certain you know, personality type, a certain disposition. So uh, we will, we'll keep coming back to that as well. So I'll toss up a few quotes just so I can put a bit more flesh on these things. So Plato says stuff like this about truth. He says, um, the true lover of learning then must from his earliest youth, as far as in him lies, desire all truth. I like that sense. I like that sense. I mean, I'm a parent now. I got two kids. Um, <laughs> I can't tell whether my daughter who's one and a half is quite yet a lover of truth. I feel she may be. Can't tell yet. But I feel like my son is. You know, I feel like there's a certain kind of ruthless, clear sightedness about him where it's just like, you know, Let's get to the heart of any matter at any time. And, you know, it's great. He calls me out when I'm going down the wrong path, when I'm acting in bad faith. And you sort of feel like, um, yeah, there's, there's something in this. There's, there's certain types of people who, you know, just, just have this drive from an early age. I mean, Plato's interested in this as well, as he talks about in other places. You know, how do you pick the philosopher from an early age to educate them so that they can, of course, go on and become the rulers of society, which, of course, will never, ever happen. But it's an interesting you know, it's an interesting thing that he, that he picks out. Um, other things on truth. Uh, philosophers are lovers of all true being. Not entirely sure what true being is, but I think I have a pretty good sense of what it is. It's, you know, how, how you are in the world, I suppose. There is no part, whether greater or less, or more or less honourable, which they are willing to renounce. As we said um, before, of the man of ambition. So interesting here, we see this sort of uh, alludes to what I'm going to talk about more shortly. But it's interesting that Plato himself contrasts the person of truth versus the person uh, of ambition. And the person of truth, it's like, mm, you know what? I'm not going to give any of it up. I'm not going to give any of it up. I mean, as a bit of an aside, personally, um, and this is a big sort of philosophical debate I have with myself. I mean, is ambition in itself wrong? No, not in the slightest. It's actually a wonderful, beautiful thing. But it is a wonderful, beautiful thing when it is underpinned by truth. Simple, isn't it? You want to be a capitalist? You want to make a lot of money? Then make a good product. Fine. You know, you want to be an artist? You want the world to love you? Well, then you better make the best goddamn art there's ever been. Great. You know, so I think, I think this is... You know, when I was younger, I struggled with this. I was, I sort of thought, oh, ambition, bad. I always thought of that, um, what is it, paranoid android, Radiohead. You know, ambition makes you look pretty ugly. And so for about 10 years, I um, tried my hardest, like a good, you know, tortured 20-year-old to not have ambition. And I realized, no, not, not right. Let your light shine, seize the day, all of that stuff. But this is the point. Ambition's fine when it's honorable. Uh, the thing is, is that so much of the time it isn't. And then these are the subtleties we have to pick out. Um, yeah, okay, Plato on knowledge, um, kind of obvious stuff. I mean, I've really said it already, but, you know, got to get through my slides. Uh, let us suppose that philosophical minds always, always love knowledge of a sort which shows them the eternal nature 
not varying from generation and corruption. Eternal nature. This overlaps quite heavily with truth, um, but it's about, you know, knowledge is about recognizing the truth. Um, I can already feel that in saying this, you know, my, because I've kind of internalized the values of my oppressor to some extent, you know, this is what, um, this is what self-censorship is all about. I can already feel when I say the words, um, you know, the eternal nature of things that, um, that I'm not meant to say that at university. Can you feel that? It's wrong, isn't it? Eternal nature. Ooh, wrong. Cause there is no eternal nature, is there? See? So you could sort of feel how um, you can, that's, that's, you know, that's the voice of corruption talking. I'll keep coming back to this. Um, Plato on knowledge. Um, I mentioned this one already, but as I said, got to work through these slides. A philosopher's desires are drawn towards knowledge in every form. I said that already, but it's, 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 it's a big thing. Um, and as, as I'll, as I'll you know, go on to say, there's such a tendency within the university system to fall more and more into your narrow discipline um, and push out everything else because it makes you safe, doesn't it? Heck, I might as well draw on the board. <laughs> Love drawing on the board. Chalk and talk. I'm going to drop a very important letter here. Uh, this, this isn't my invention. Uh, other people have come up with this letter already. The letter T. Good letter, yeah? It's so flexible. <laughs> So, um, so, you know, the, the problem naturally is uh, if all you do is stay in your own uh, tiny space, you know, you're going, you're going deep into one area, but then, you know, you miss the glories of the breadth of knowledge. Uh, and the thing is, is that you need depth because otherwise you can't solve tricky problems. But if you don't uh, temper that with breadth, of other fields from time to time, your own field stagnates. You start believing your own bullshit. And I hear this again and again these days, thanks to, um, you know, the immortal powers of YouTube, where we actually hear these discussions happening. And I thought, I thought it was just something that happened in the arts, in the social sciences with the kind of bullshit echo chamber of um, sort of postmodernism and, you know, dubious theories built upon dubious theories. But, you know, arguably it's happening in the, um, in the sciences too in various areas. Maybe things like string theory, for example. I've heard people talking about people just get locked into these areas. I'm already getting ahead of myself. But, yes, be drawn towards all branches of knowledge and uh, let, let them, uh, you know, let them invigorate your own specific studies. Um, and magnanimity. I know there's better quotes out there from Plato. <laughs> I ran out of time. This was the best one I could get across. Um, but he says something like this. Nothing can be more antagonistic than meanness to a soul, which is ever longing after the whole of things, both divine and human. But this sort of meanness, meanness, meanness of spirit. Um, it's just, it's, it's an unattractive characteristic to people who, um, who are searching after uh, the fullness of truth, the fullness of knowledge. So that's my foundation, right? That's my, uh, that's my platonic foundation. I'll sort of keep coming back around to that. Can I prove these things? This is what really bothers me. Is that what makes the philosopher, you know, a, a deep hunger for truth from an early age, a love of all branches of knowledge, you know, magnanimity, bigness of spirit? 
What do, what, do, what do the Americans say? We hold these truths to be self-evident, you know, that all people are created equal. <laughs> uh, I, I can't answer that question. Um, the test of time's got something to do with it. The fact that we do keep coming back to Plato, um, people, like, um, I read him under duress. Like, I, I, was a, I was a card-carrying member of postmodernism for a few years there back in my um, early to mid-20s. Like, I believed it. And then I was doing my PhD and I was thinking, you know what? Let's read these hideous old books that everyone says are so evil. Let's just, let's just read them and see what they have to say. So, I mean, I was ready to hate. I was ready to go, oh, monster, monster. And you read it and you just have the exact opposite effect. Like, where have you been my whole life? So <laughs> that's not very good evidence. But with so much of this stuff, it's like art. Art doesn't prove anything. It really doesn't prove anything. And yet, why do, why do amazing books and amazing movies, why do they hang around? Why do they keep, uh, why do they endure? Because we watch them, they resonate with us, and we say, uh, yeah, I can take this stuff. I can use it in my life. I tell other people about it. So there's something subtle going on there. That's probably the best I can say. Anyway, um, I'm going to move on. Let me skip that slide. So... Let's look now at the hierarchy of purposes at university. So I'm moving into a, a new part of this talk. Uh, doing okay with time, I think. So this hierarchy is, it's, it's more or less, I think, what happens at university. So look, I'll put it up and then I'll try to uh, pull it apart a little bit and make sense of it. Um, so I've already said this. What, what's the telos of university? What's the purpose? What, what, why is it really here? Why do we have this crazy establishment called a university? Why do we set them up in our societies? Well, as I say, you know, we need a judicial system because that deals with, you know, justice and, you know, fairness, those sorts of things. Fairness is aspect of justice. Um, you know, have a political system which allows us to thrash out our differences. And, you know, the, the thing with the political system is it's not exactly about truth, is it? It's, it says, well, we might not get to the truth because we're so different, but here is a mechanism by which we can at least live together without killing each other, you know, political system. So the university system, as I say, that's the truth game. That's the truth game. We need it. We need all these institutions in our society for health, which is why I keep coming back to this truth at the top. Second thing universities certainly can do is politics. Um, and, you know, politics is a noble pursuit. What do I mean by politics in the most general sense? It's a discussion about what we ought to do. So truth is a, mostly, a, mostly concerned with what is the nature of reality. Politics is more, you know, what we ought to do you know, about the world, about our lives. They overlap a little bit. So, yeah, politics is a noble enterprise when it is underpinned. By truth, yes, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious. When politics becomes unhinged from truth, you get the world we have now, where you have, um, you know, alt-right, you know, Trump voters or whatever versus, you know, social justice warriors on the left. And, you know, both are equally odious in their own ways because both have become you know, focused on politics to the exclusion of truth, which maybe is fine in the political realm, but it shouldn't happen at universities. Number three, career. <laughs> I've struggled with this so much. I was lucky to get a university job. 
I was lucky to get a university job which, in which I had no possibility of promotion. I think that's the only thing that allowed me to work in the university because there's something about, uh, I don't know, there's something about a career within the university system which bothers me a lot. But this gets me back to the point of ambition. Um, it's not wrong to earn money, is it? It's not wrong to support your family. It's not wrong to do all those sorts of things. Uh, when, again, it flows down from the top, when your pursuit of a career, maybe even if it is via politics, is still at least underpinned by truth. No worries. I'm fine with that. That's why it's at number three. It's not quite at the bottom, you know? There's something to be said for career. But down here at the bottom, number four, power, group membership, ego defense. I kept trying to break them up and I was wondering whether I could, you know, make a, you know, a four, five or six out of that. But um, I couldn't really. I just thought let's group them together because, frankly, all three of them uh, very much do go together. So uh, we can use the university system to pursue power. Yeah, power over others, that, that, that glorious feeling that you have when, um, you know, you crush the infidel. Yeah, we all know it. We all have the tendency within us. <laughs> Group membership, that glorious feeling, huh, of the love of the crowd, you know, when you're all in it together, you know. Um, and I keep coming back to this. Even these things I'm, I'm not opposed to. As I say, I'm not really even opposed to them when they're underpinned by, by other better things. Group membership. I mean, what pleasure it is to be an Australian when the English are defeated in a cricket test. Oh, I love it. It's the best. It's the best defeating the English. But then you know what they say, though, about the ashes in cricket. It's the, um, it's the competition that unites us. So there's a certain group membership there, but it's, it's tempered as well. And maybe that's, maybe that's a good way of doing it. Um, ego defense. I was tempted to put this at the very bottom. Um, I feel like of all of them, it's the one that I find most grotesque. We have flaws within ourselves. We all do. Um, what would a philosopher do? Uh, they'd be open about their flaws. But maybe flaw isn't even the right word. Just tendencies, desires, inclinations, you know? We all have them, and um, from, you know, from the point of view of pleasant society, they're dark. We're all filled with it. Um, maybe, maybe I'll mention some of mine a little bit later on. <laughs> they're, as, you know, they're as bad as you could imagine. I don't act on them most of the time. <laughs> but it, the, the great danger is that the university system is kind of becoming a, a place. You can sort of see where um, people with weak egos who can't face their desires, pursue power and group membership and a career through corrupting politics and ignoring truth. You see? Straightforward, yeah? Am I wrong? <laughs> I got a few nods. <laughs> Again, how do I prove this? How do I prove this? I don't. I can't. Um, well, I go conduct a study, go interview some people. Hi there. Would you say that, um, that you're through your weak ego, uh, you tend to, you attempt to make up uh, for this by uh, belonging to certain groups and pursuing power and money through a corruption of politics at the expense of the truth. 
Mm, yes, Jamie, excellent question. That's exactly what I do. My whole life's a sham. I'm, a, I'm part of the problem in society. Excellent. Great. All right. Um, cool. Can you sign that ethics form so I can publish that? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Is it? I mean, it's rubbish. Um, but again, what can I say? I can point these things out. Um, another thing the philosopher does that Plato, Plato mentions, which it's all tied up. I mean, it's all tied up with this, obviously. He talks about you, uh, philosophers can see the form of things. They can see the patterns. That's the point. That's, I was going to say this before, but I skipped the slide. Um, you do a PhD at university, you're a doctor of philosophy, you know? Amongst having the various other characteristics, you're, you know, you're a pattern recognizer. So I hope I have identified a pattern. Other people will look at it and say, hell yeah, you know, that is the pattern. And, um, you know, the good word spreads and the corruption diminishes. And that's about all we can hope for, isn't it? I'll come back around to this again with, with my discussion of magnanimity. So how am I going here? Dear God, maybe 20 minutes left. <laughs> um, I've honestly, I've said, I've said the core of what I want to say now, which is good. Like I've got across the key message. So now it's a matter of going into some details, talking about some examples, you know, trying to buttress this maybe in the last 20 minutes. Um, I, thought, I thought a useful thing worth saying in a little bit more detail is actually asking the question, what is truth? Because, you know, didn't I hear, I can't remember if I watched it or not or if I started watching and got sick of it. Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, I think, had like some discussion about what truth is and it went on for like an hour or something. You know, it's actually not hard to say what truth is. It's really not hard. It's not tricky. I mean, I suppose you could do many years of philosophy talking about it, but I, I just, I don't think it's that hard. Question for you guys. Let's have some questions uh, for the audience. I don't know. What do you think? First question, does, does truth exist? I mean, you're kind of fucked now if you say no, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of set that one up badly. Um, let's go to the second one. If the truth exists, what form does it take? What do you guys think the truth is? Well, there's this question about absolute truth and relative truth. Oh, see, you're, you're in trouble now. So, absolute truth and relative truth. Yeah. yeah. I've heard the question. Yeah, well, I've, uh, yeah. So, yeah, absolute truth is stuff that really is eternal and does exist for all time, and relative truth is that kind of truth which isn't really a truth, but it's sort of a truth because it's true for you, which is a sort of a banal kind of truth that doesn't get us very far. Um, I, I, I didn't really mean to be mean by saying that, um, but it's the truth of the group. Possibly the individual, possibly the group. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm feeling a 50-minute discussion coming on now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to tie this up in 15 minutes? <laughs> I will. I will. I'll tie it up in 15 minutes with a whole string of digressions that cut my time down even shorter. Wow. You know, the funny thing is when you digress, part of your head's saying, you've only got two minutes left to get through the whole thing. And you're like, yeah, and that's all the better time to digress. You know, something... Um, living on the edge about it. Um, look, honestly, for the moment, relative truths, um, I suppose they're useful in a data kind of sense where you say, okay, this group believes this, this group believes that. Great, that makes sense. So then we can understand a political engagement more. So yeah, there's something to be said for that. Anyone else? What do you think? What form does, what, what is truth? One of the biggest problems is that now this has become sort of like a dirty word. It like, has. That's the thing. You can feel it, can't you? Yeah. Look at this. Truths exist. Truths exist. Eternal truths exist. And it's like, oh, can't say it. I can say it because I'm leaving. And I'm not sure if it was because I noticed early on in my, I don't want to take up too much time, but like in my university <laughs> life, it was 
I was obsessed with finding truth and, and investigating it. And when I spoke about it, I felt like um, my supervisors and my teachers responded well to it. But coming into a PhD situation, it seemed that, I'm not sure if it was a time thing, but truth had no longer become what we pursue. It was like a dirty word that you can't really speak about. Yeah. Um, which kind of threw me because that was like my whole purpose. Now see, look, see, this is, this is why you're here today because you're a philosopher, a proper one. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, just to just to sort of paraphrase that for the for the speaker, yeah, like early on when you come to uni, you feel like, yeah, I'm pursuing truth, I'm pursuing truth. But yeah, later on, especially once you reach PhD level, yeah, it becomes a dirty word. Um, and look, I mean, let's let's digress a bit here too. It's a dirty word for good reason. Well, good reasons too strong for some good reasons. Any number of atrocities have been committed in the name of truth. Yeah. But then any number of atrocities have been committed in the name of religion. Um, and it's one of these baby out with the bathwater things. Yes, science has done bad things in the past in the name of truth. But does that mean there's no truth or does it just mean that, you know, we've got to keep, we've got to be careful. We've got to keep working. And so I think this is what's happening as well. I think there's a big part with the whole colonization story, the idea that the West is superior and has the truth and therefore they must... Uh, you know, educate the, um, you know, the non-Western people. Um, but then the thing is, is, it's not so much an issue of truth there. It's just more of an issue of being an asshole colonizer. And colonization has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, justifying fucking up whole, you know, races of people just because you have the truth. Truth is not the problem, you know. Being an asshole colonizes the problem. And so I feel like there's a whole, there's, a, there's this whole, this, this is the, I mean, we could go on about this as well. This is the baggage that truth then brings along with it. Um, yeah. Which we should talk about so much. So much of the problems with the world and the university today is baby out with the bathwater stuff. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep coming around to this stuff here. Let me, let me just answer my own question because, you know, that's what you do when you're a teacher, Yeah. <laughs> What is truth? Simple. Patterns in the physical world. Regularities. Yeah. Stuff that happens in a regular fashion. Simple things like, you know, the, the sun coming up each day or the nature of atoms or the nature of chemical reactions. Yeah. If something happens in a regular way, um, you know, it's a truth. But then patterns in society, too. For example, the tendency of humans to create uh, to, um, you know, uh, commit atrocities and then do them in the name of all sorts of noble stuff like uh, religion and truth. You know, it's patterns. That's truth. Simple. Relations of cause and effect that generate the patterns. So it's not just sort of recognizing certain regularities in molecules or whatever. It's recognizing that if you combine molecule A with molecule B, you get molecule C. There's a cause and effect relationship. Um, we get it in societies too with something like, um, you know, <laughs> When, we, when we're setting up democracies, countries, you know, like America and Australia, which, you know, they've got their problems, but they have some good bits too. The people who set up the democracies recognise there are patterns in human nature. Namely, we have a tendency to be horrifically tribal and want to kill each other. So what do we do? As I sort of said before, we set up political systems which have the effect of ameliorating that and allowing us to live together without killing each other. So that's a, that's a, a sort of a cause and effect relationship in the social world. That's a truth. It's not dirty, is it? It's pretty straightforward. Events, stuff that happened. 
That's a truth. You know, I, I would always, I, I can only think of bad examples, but when I hear about people complaining about truth, I'm like, um, this is a terrible example. It's the one that comes to mind. In the case of sexual assault, it's like, it's not the case that, well, there's my story and there's her story and then there's the truth. It's like, well, no, maybe you really did sexually assault someone. You know, an event happened. That's a truth. So you know, none of this is tricky and, and none of this is like a, a dirty word. Correct interpretation. See, I went through English literature and a lot of English literature is about interpretation and you can bet postmodernism got its fucking teeth into that because it's like, oh, you can interpret it any way you want. And you're like, well, if I can interpret a document any way I want, then the ingredients on a Mars bar wrapper are potentially as meaningful as Tolstoy's War and Peace. It's like, it's just not the case. There are better and worse interpretations. Do I know what they are for sure? No. Can we approach it? Yes. So it's at least the movement towards better interpretations. You know, it's simple stuff. And ethics, of course. So this is where truth and politics overlap. But there are better and worse ways of acting in the world based on useful criteria. What do we value? Do we value security above all else? Do we want to be safe? In which case, let the bureaucracy run free. Or, you know, do we value freedom? So even though there might be elements of danger, um, are we willing to accept that so that we can pursue our desires as we see fit without other people telling us what to do? These are all key tensions which underpin different societies, the left and the right wing, that kind of thing. But, you know, these are truths. These are truths. Do we definitely get to them? Do we know them for sure? No. Do we approach them? Yes. You know? So, you know, so none of this is particularly tricky stuff. It's not dirty stuff. So this is what I really want to, um, you know, present to you is that, you know, these are all, this is all the good stuff that universities, uh, you know, should be doing. Um, and we should, you know, elevate the pursuit of truth, obviously, to the, to the, highest, to the highest point. <laughs> How am I going now? 10 minutes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, so we've kind of been talking about the top end there, truth, what is truth, etc. Um, I want to talk about the bottom end. I just want to roll out, you know, some of my favorite quotes. <laughs> Yitzi, you've seen some of these already, but you know, they're so good. They're worth coming back to. Um, so Rousseau, Rousseau is an interesting person. They sort of call him, what did I see him called once? Like a like a non-Marxist radical. I kind of like that. I was like, oh yeah, he's not exactly like yay, yay, rah, 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 working class, but at the same time, he's kind of nuts and his complaints about society all day long. I feel like, yeah, I could go with that, you know? Like, I mean, believe me, I, I, you know, of course capitalism's doing everything it can to, you know, screw over the, the poor people of the world. But, you know, there's still more to that, more to the world than that to complain about. Anyway, he says this, and he just hits the nail on the head. He says, um, individuals only allow themselves to be oppressed so far as they are hurried on by blind ambition. It's that word again. But I think the, the important word is blind ambition. You imagine that if it's a clear-sighted ambition, that perhaps it incorporates truth. I only just noticed that. And looking rather below them um, than above them. Come to love authority more than independence. And they submit to slavery that they may in turn enslave others. It is no easy matter to reduce to obedience a man or woman uh, who has no 
ambition to command. And um, yeah, this is a this is this is I mean, for me, this is the most powerful you know quotation or statement I've actually uh, I've actually ever ever come across. It ties together so much of what's going on, um, and it it really embodies for me you know the corruption of the university system that it's become a place where, as I say, people with weaker egos come so that in time they may uh, oppress others. You see this again and again. I was, I was watching that show Chernobyl recently and it was um, talking about, you know, I was looking at the whole hierarchical system in the, you know, those communist days. And I'm like, yeah, that's the university. <laughs> and I keep thinking, why is it that people accept like their superiors doing stuff that's obviously dodgy? Like, why do they accept it? Why do they accept it? Part of it's fear. Without question, part of it's fear if you speak up. But there's a darker reason. And it's that in time, you know you will be in that position. And when you're in that position, you can then, you know, twist the knife on people under you. Again, how do I prove this? How do I prove this? I've seen it so many times. Holly and I, we were talking about stories, weren't we? We've all seen it so many times. Um, And, you know, you see the people who, you, you know they're insecure. You know they're looking for approval. You can tell that. And then at the same time, you see how brutal they are to like the students they teach or the people who don't, you know, fall in. Yes, sir, Daniel. What's the academic equivalent of twisting the knife? Um, it's simple. It's like when, uh, when the student says something that they're not meant to say, they state an unorthodox position um, and you get vilified in one form or another. So you might get publicly humiliated. That's, that's a popular one. Um, uh, or else, um, I don't know, it's happened... Happened to James here. Um, they might do it in like comments. So if you're like writing a, a PhD thesis and then you submit it, and you know you've worked really hard at it, you've tried to pursue the truth as best as you can see it, um, and then you know the reviewer just utterly destroys you. And it's always it's always this trade-off, isn't it? It's like, well, maybe my work is horrifically flawed, or maybe you're just an asshole. <laughs> Again, you can't prove these things. You can't prove these things. But, yeah, it happens in lots of different ways. But good question. Maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Look, you know it when it happens. (laughs) You know it when it happens. But, look, I mean, honestly, these these are also eternal battles because part of you, of course, is saying, yeah, maybe I'm a piece of shit who's completely evil and wrong, you know? Maybe maybe I'm speaking horrific things that shouldn't be spoken and maybe you're right and I just should close, I should just, uh, you know, give up and do what you say. I don't know. But then something in you speaks up and says, you know what, nah, fuck it. Um, I'm running out of time. People keep milling around the door, which really worries me. Let me skip to this one. Um, yeah. Let me race through two important things. So if you were a lesser person, right, I, I could say this quickly. If you were a lesser person and you wanted to make the university a place for you, you know, you wanted to make it a place where you could thrive, it's quite simple, isn't it, right? What do you do? What do you do? Number one, you get rid of truth. Number two, you devalue all branches of knowledge that are other than yours to protect yourself. This is almost a summary. This is what I've been talking about. Number three, you crush all dissenters that threaten this, the first two steps. You know, it's, 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 it's the basic model uh, of what you do. Um, you basically, in short, you invert Plato's account of what the philosopher is. Um, let's do this quite quickly again, because I've done it enough already. How do you get rid of truth? Well, you invent postmodernism. It's, it's really, really simple. It might have come out of some good things in the first place, you know, critiques of, you know, of course, sexism is real and bad. You know, colonization, real, bad. 
you know, any number of those things. But people got a kind of a sniff of postmodernism and realized that they could use it for other purposes as well, namely to devalue all truth. And then you move your cronies into the system. Uh, you all talk together in the echo chamber using the same words and go round and round in circles, not really contributing anything new. Um, you devalue all other branches of knowledge so that no one can challenge you. And you get this again and again. People come into these sort of postmodern areas and go, but there's no evidence there. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Why are you using these ridiculous technical terms that no one can understand? And the people say, yeah, yeah, but no, no, there's really good stuff here, but you don't understand. You need to study it more before you finally understand. You know what that sounds a lot like? Scientology. You need, to, you, need to, you need to pay more money. You need to watch more videos. Only then will you finally get it. Only then will you really, really, really get it. Scary, isn't it? And, and again, crush dissenters, people who, who actually go through your discipline and then they start calling things out from the inside. Bad. Um, so I paraphrased a lot of what this is here. I'm going to skip some of these things here, um, even though they're awesome. Because um, I want to get to this last one here. Look at that. Not a lot of slides. <laughs> Come on. There's no time. How do you know if you're part of the problem? It's kind of, yeah, it's the key question, isn't it? Because this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to say to people, you know, hey, you're part of the problem. And they're like, no, no, I'm not part of the problem. You're part of the problem. What's the evidence? How do you prove any of this stuff? It's hopefully some of what I've said has gone some way towards it, that sense of being a lover of truth, lovering, lover of all branches of knowledge. There's certainly something in that kind of thing. Um, magnanimity is certainly something in, in those kinds of things. Are you kind of open-spirited? Let's, let's think of some stuff. So, yeah, you're okay if you aren't afraid to talk about anything. Yeah? Any topic, any time, I don't care. Let's do it. You know, that's my attitude. It's a good attitude, yeah? Nothing's off the table. Um, yeah, again, you're a lover of all branches of knowledge. Again, um, you don't seek the approval of those above you. It's like, you know what? Fuck approval. How about that? Fuck the group. How about that? <laughs> all the stuff you learn when you're nine, but then when you become an adult, you just totally ignore. <laughs> yeah, no interest in crushing people below you. Um, like, what, what, what things I'm gonna, I was going to come to later, what, what, what for me makes a good teacher is that you reward keenness. I feel like hopefully that's, that's my attitude to teaching. It's like, I don't care what you believe. All that matters to me is that you're keen. All that matters to me is that you really believe in something you want to fight for. I'll help you. I'll help you. And it's like, I've, I've been friends with like, like crazy, wacky, right-wing, you know, Israeli bomb the Palestinian types. And I, I'm talking to them. I'm like, aren't I left-wing? Aren't I meant to hate you? Why am I being friendly with you? And I'm like, you know, it took me a while to kind of figure it out. And it's like, oh, you know what? I don't need to crush you, you know? It's like, okay, you believe in this. Let's, let's try to work through this as best we can, you know? Let's try to make your argument as well as you can possibly make it, you know? So uh, hopefully there's something in that. Um, Yoda. <laughs> Luke Skywalker wants to know, how can I tell the good side from the bad? Yoda, what does he say? Anger, fear, aggression. Hmm? The dark side of the... Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Mm. <laughs> Magnanimity. He's recognizing it too, isn't he? Uh, when, you're, when you're driven by these, these, these negative emotions. Um, <laughs> but how am I to know the good side from the bad? You will know when you are calm, at peace, passive. Mm. 
A Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. <laughs> Does this prove anything? Not really. But I'm starting to build an image though, yeah? Starting to build an image. Um, test yourself. I've said this already, moral solitude. My other favorite quotation, I just realized I have two now. Um, Joseph Conrad, the author, he says, um, he says this in the book Under Western Eyes. He says, who knows what true loneliness is? Not the conventional word, but the naked terror. To the lonely themselves, it wears a mask. The most miserable outcast hugs some memory or some illusion. Now and then a fatal conjunction of events may lift the veil for an instant, for an instant only. No human being could bear a steady view of moral solitude without going mad. This is the challenge we all face. To be human is to be with the group. This is what's made humanity strong over the years, that we work together. But there's often a conflict between being with the group and the pursuit of truth. Time and again, we see this, that um, what you have to say to be part of the group undermines truth. So you have to be willing to turn your back on the group and feel the loneliness, feel the moral solitude, feel the emptiness. Uh, for me, that's, it's such a big test. Again, it would be great to conduct studies on this, but they'd never let you. <laughs> yeah. And this is the point as well, Nietzsche. Says something might be true while being harmful and dangerous in the highest degree. Um, indeed, it might be a basic characteristic of existence that those who would know it completely would perish. Nietzsche's a bit dramatic, but I like what he's getting at. Like he overdoes it a bit, but you know, he's, he's not quite a philosopher. No, doesn't overdo it. Spot on. Okay, it's spot on. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's, look at me. Look at me apologizing. See, I'm still internalizing the voice of moderation. God damn me. That's why I have to do this talk. It's actually, this is actually therapy for me. This is therapy. <laughs> it might be a basic characteristic of existence that those who would know it completely would perish, in which case the strength of a spirit would be measured according to how much of the truth one could still barely endure, or to put it more clearly, to what degree one would require it to be thinned down, shrouded, sweetened, bluntened, falsified. Um, so it's a beautiful thing. So it takes immense spirit, doesn't it, to um, try to hold on to the truth and uh, embrace moral solitude. I certainly don't do it a lot of the time. I don't have it in me a lot of the time. But it's always this, this, this benchmark, this, this you know, level I have to sort of test myself against. Um, and look, I mean, I, I wager like, you know, the, the great legions of irate, you know, academics writing their echo chamber papers or, you know, bashing away on the keyboard. Um, you know, they have a very strong sense of being in the group um, and they would be probably be very, you know, disinclined uh, to turn away from it. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> what am I? I've, I've, I've hit the time limit, but heck, let's keep going for another few minutes. Yeah. Everyone good? There's no one coming in. See, that's what, that's when you see the people milling at the door, you think, oh, Jesus, here we go. But no, they're just gawkers, rubberneckers. So um, that's right. We can push on a little bit through a couple more things, five, 10 minutes. Um, this is a really important one. This one, this one is so, so important to me. What actually causes change? Let's say we want to change the world. I ask my, that, myself that often. Do I want to change the world? Increasingly, I sort of think, yeah, I don't know. It's hard work, eh? I don't know. I think maybe a little. Maybe a little. That was Dr. Jamie Q. Roberts. 
with the death of truth at the university and other institutions. Dr. Roberts will, God willing, be on the program next week. A conversation about that talk and somewhat further afield. This is Yitzi Tovel. Thank you.